0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, let's continue in our time of worship as we go to God's Word. And we're actually wrapping up our series through the book of Acts, our 12-week series. And this brings us to our close. We'll be closing in Acts chapter 18 this morning. And so go to Acts chapter 18. We'll start in verse 1. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. of God among them. This is God's word. Well, at the close of our series through the message of Acts, I want you to think about the ministry that God has given to you. When you think of your ministry, or being a missionary, or being in ministry, or being a faithful witness, We have talked in this series that it's so easy to think about that 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 work is just for the pastors of the church. It's for those in full-time vocational ministry. It's for those who are called to, to be missionaries and to leave their home and to go to a foreign land to bring the gospel. And what we realize is that as Jesus invites us into relationship with him, he is enlisting us into his purposes to be a blessing, to proclaim the good news to the whole world. All of us are called to be a witness, no matter where, where you are in your life, no matter what your job is. You do this as a, a mother, as you disciple and shepherd your children at home. You do this as a neighbor, as you have conversations, even across the fence line, about your life and about uh, what you do on the weekends and your friends and, 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 uh, and uh, your faith. You do this as a life group leader, as you open your home and open up God's Word. And what we've hopefully learned is that our call to be a witness and a faithful witness is not only for those in ministry, but for for everyone. And so I want you to think about where has God called you to be a witness? What ministry has He given to you? What people or places or office? Where has He called you to be a witness? And the Acts series has intended in part to help us to participate in this great story of God. And to see our place in the story. And the story that says Jesus is working in his followers every single day. He's working in you. He's working in me. He's working in us and through us to bring about his plans in the whole world. And to be his witnesses is to proclaim the good news of God's grace in our home, neighborhoods, workplace, wherever God puts us. And we've spent 11 weeks talking about how to be a witness. We've spent 11 weeks talking about what what it means to be a witness and what message God has given to us. And even last four weeks, these great strategies for how to be a witness in our lives. And now, this week, as we finish, I want to talk about the other side of the equation. I want to talk about how to be faithful. We've been talking about being a witness. Today I want to talk about what it means to be faithful. The overarching goal of this whole series has been Faithfulness. I want to talk about what it means to be faithful to that witness. And when we stand before Christ, we long to hear those words that that He says that He will say to His people when He says, "Well done, good and faithful servant." It's this wonderful phrase that we are comforted by when when we go to funerals and we are reminiscing the the life or celebrating the life of those who have passed away, and we say. This person has loved Jesus to the very end, and they now have heard the words from Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. We take comfort in these words. We long to hear these words from Christ. I do. I hope you do as well. And not once are we told in anywhere in Scripture to long to hear the words, well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and theologically smart servant. Well done, good and fruitful servant, even. But well done, good and faithful servant. This is what God calls us to. Specifically, we are called to be faithful. What does it look like to be faithful in our ministry, in the witness of our faith in God's word and his story? Well, Paul gives us a great picture of faithfulness in this passage and what we need to know if we desire to be faithful witnesses. And I want to be faithful. I know you want to be faithful. And if you do we, must do, we must know just a couple things. The first thing here that we need to know if we desire to be faithful is that participating in ministry with Jesus is an invitation into pain. I beg you, please wait for point number two <clears throat> before you leave. But before we get to point two, we need to get to this. To be a witness, to be faithful, to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus is inviting us into conflict. He's inviting us into pain. He's inviting us into discouragement. It's an invitation into pain. You will despair. You will struggle. You will want to give up. And some days, you will give up you will want to throw up your hands and say, I don't want to do this anymore. If you think that you will get to heaven and Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you think, oh, it really wasn't that bad. It really wasn't that hard, but thank you. I was really just doing what I'm just naturally good at. I was really just taking one day at a time, and you know, sure, there were some struggles along the way, and there were some tears, and there were some temptations, but honestly, I just felt, I just felt like particularly gifted at being this kind of person, but thank you, it's just good to be loved. No, you will not say that. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you will turn to him, and you will say, what was that all about? That was miserable. What kind of sick joke are you playing? Do you realize how horrible that was? The life that I just lived. Do you realize how painful? Do you realize how tempting? Do you realize I spent most of my days in grief and pain and in tears and frustration? And then he will usher us into eternal peace and rest. And we will be so glad that it is over. There will not be an ounce of this life that you will say, well, there were parts that were really great. It will pale in comparison to the joy that you will have. And you will realize that this life was so filled with grief and pain. Do you realize what is your picture of the life of a Christian that he has called you into? Look at Paul. Here is Paul at, at Corinth. He goes into Corinth. And Corinth is known for its prosperity and its immorality. Paul's main, four main cities that he goes to in the book of Acts is Corinth, Ephesus. Athens and Rome. Athens was the intellectual center of the world. Think of Boston in the U.S. Uh, Ephesus was the, um, sorry, that's Athens. Ephesus was the arts and pop culture center of the world. Think of L.A. Rome was the government center of the world. You think of our D.C. And Corinth is the commerce center of the world, the place to accumulate great wealth in business and in power. Think of New York City. And Paul goes into this city, he goes into Corinth, and we know that Paul, right before he goes in, as he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, he goes here because he knows how difficult it is to pierce the the culture with the gospel, and he's terrified. He writes to them in 1 Corinthians and says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He comes into this city terrified because he knows that the gospel side by side with the values of that culture are going to be so opposite that he is going to experience a ton of suffering, and he's terrified. Paul, think of Paul, the hero, a hero of our faith, a hero of of the New Testament, a hero of of the church, and he says, I don't want to go. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to. It's going to be so difficult because it was such a bad place. It was such an immoral place. The word Corinth became synonymous with sexual immorality. To be a, a Corinthiastes, to be a Corinthiastes in that world, was to be a person that, was, that gave themselves to a life of sexual immorality. It was a, they used that word, oh, you're a Corinthiastes. Oh, they knew that meant that you were, that you were sexually immoral. There's a dorm at the U of A. Uh... <laughs> When I was a student there, uh, Coronado, it was called Scoronado. Where, where was I? Um, because if you, this, it was just synonymous with sexual immorality and what happened there. It was like bringing the gospel there Well, I feel called to Scoronado. I feel called to bring the gospel here where there is great sexual immorality. That's where Paul's doing ministry. And they curse him and they reject him and they... They reject God. They reject his message. They revile him. They blaspheme him and God. They, they mock him and laugh at him. They ridicule God. And Paul, of all people, becomes discouraged. Will you just think about this? Paul, of all people, becomes painfully discouraged. He takes out his art of garment and he shakes it out at them. He shakes it out at them. He says, I'm through with you. I don't even want the dust of this city on me. I'm so sick of you. I want everything about you away from me. I don't even want the dust of your city on my clothes when I leave here. You've been such a waste of time to think that I gave so much for what? What was the purpose of suffering so great for you? And then he says this great, this common phrase in the Bible. He says, your blood be on your heads. Here's the meaning. There's a watchtower in a city, a watchtower, and on the top of the watchtower, there's a watchman on the, on the top of the tower. And he's to blow the horn when he sees the enemies marching in to attack the city. And if he blows the horn and the people hear the warning being given and do nothing, the blood is on their heads. It's their fault. But if the watchman sees the, atten- the enemy uh, moving in to attack and does nothing, the loss of life, is on his head. Paul says, I've warned you. I have brought you the truth. I have told you. And if you have done nothing, this is all your fault. And I am innocent. And Paul is saying, I am through with you. This is a waste of my time. It has amounted to nothing. And I've done everything I can. You're on your own. Paul is slamming the door behind him. He's, this is like the shaking out of the garments. This is like, he's giving them the bird. I mean, he is. He's like, forget you guys. Paul, the great apostle, great writer of the New Testament, God's word. Here is Paul giving his life to the gospel and speaking of things in a city that nobody wants to hear. No one cares about. Can you identify with Paul? Being a Christian will bring you through times in your life when you will say, is this really making a difference? Does anybody care? I mean, look at what I have given up. Look at what I have done, God, for you. Look at what I have given up. Does anybody care? Is it making a difference? What does it matter if I do something and say something to proclaim the good news or if I don't? Will it ever make a difference. What a waste of time. Have you ever felt that? Paul did. Have you ever felt, but look at, look at what I've lost because I have taken that chance, because I've been bold in my faith. Look at the reputation that I've lost. Look at the, the, the possessions. Look at the prestige. Look at the friendships. This is not what I signed up for. Christians love to say that. You ever notice that? This is not what... Like this is like, being a Christian is this voluntary, you know, subscription in this club rather than God's rescue from a life of sin and condemnation into life everlasting. This is not what I signed up for. I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years plus, and I've wanted to shake it out 36 times, more or less. I don't know. That seems low. <laughs> Probably given over, well over 600 sermons, half of which I have felt were completely pointless. Ones that I didn't even want to hear. Ones that I almost fell asleep listening to. <laughs> Conversations with non-Christians that I've had and Christians that I have felt certain were so unproductive. Relationships that have ended in pain, godly counsel that is often rejected, intentions and actions that are misunderstood, gossip that is spread, rumors that wound my reputation. I admit I'm not better than Paul. I'm much worse. And yet I can identify with what Paul is saying. It's hard. And God's given you a ministry, too. I don't want you to see that this is just a, that a passage for pastors, for missionaries who enter into tough and difficult situations of ministry. God has called you into the very same thing. Have you ever wanted to give it up? Have you ever wanted to say, this is for somebody else to deal with? I do not feel called to a life uh, in the spotlight for God. That's not for you to decide. He has planted us in a place. He has given us a sphere of witness. He has called us to be bold and to be true. He has called us to be courageous and compassionate. He has called us to be his witness. But more importantly, he's called us to be faithful. And we many times will say, I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I want This is not fun. If it surprises you, it surprises you to hear that that I am not as good as Paul that I'm actually much worse we you might not have a proper view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus what he's called you to we've all been called into ministry to be a witness to be faithful in our friendships to be a mother in Christ to be a coworker in Christ to be a boss unto Christ to be a neighbor in Christ we've all been called to be instruments of God's goodness and purposes in the world If we confess Christ, if he's brought us into his body, then we are an instrument for his glory. We've all been called to pursue peace and unity with those who have wronged us and hurt us. We've all been called to boldly witness the gospel, even when people don't want to hear it. We've all been called to disciple the young among us, to befriend the friendless, and to encourage the discouraged. We've all been called to bring the message of the gospel to people who likely don't want to hear it and will likely revile us and blaspheme God and call us ridiculous and say, you know what, that's what's wrong with the world, people like you, who will call you a bigot. Have you ever felt the urge to say, well, I just don't want to. I'm tired. I don't want to lose friends and money and reputation. I just don't see what good will come of me doing this. If you're a parent, don't tell me you haven't wanted to shake out your garments at the dinner table and shout, the blood be on your heads. (laughs) You've said that. Maybe not those words, but you have said that. I just need a break. I need a minute. That's what Paul is doing. If you don't tell me you haven't wanted to shake your garments out to a friend who has crossed the line too many times and just said, you know what, I'm done. There's no hope for you anymore. Don't tell me you haven't wanted to shake your garments out at your office or to your neighbor and say, You're somebody else's problem. Maybe someone else will come along and, and can speak into your life because I am done. Does your explanation, does your expectation of what your life as a Christian should look like allow for seasons of deep pain and disappointment? Does it? If you expect your life of following Jesus to yield endless seasons of happiness and comfort, you might be following a false idea of Jesus. He's never called you to that life. He did not suffer and die so that we would never suffer and die. He suffered and died so that in our suffering and dying, we would have hope. We would not be alone. We'd be rescued ultimately from that. That our suffering and our death would be temporary. That the curse of sin and that the sting of death would not consume us, but that we'd be rescued from it. He died and suffered so that this word and the things that we say and the suffering that we experience would never be wasted. That's why he suffered and died. If we desire to be faithful, we should be aware of and repent of our longing to be ultimately satisfied by the things of this world. Can you take a moment and assess yourself? Can you think of your own self and your life and your heart? If we want to be faithful, if we want to be faithful witnesses, we have to acknowledge and repent of our desire to find ultimate, ultimate satisfaction with, from the things of this world. They will disappoint you. They will make you weary and they will fatigue you. For Paul, there was long periods We see in this passage and Elser long periods of unfruitful ministry that led him to the point of burnout. He was drained of any real satisfaction in his ministry. He's too tired. He's too numb. He's too hardened to enjoy the ministry that God's given to to him. And he says, fine, I'm leaving you and I'm going to go hang out with the Christians. I'm going to go hang out with this worshiper of God. He understands me. He gets me. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And you convince yourself, well, this is what God has called you to do. He, God, has call, God has called you to enjoy your friendships, hasn't he? So you justify all these things. You, you convince yourself that God's called you to happiness. Well, we all need encouragement. We all need friends. We all need uh, rest. But don't confuse that with being afraid. Don't confuse that with running away from what he's called you to. And we should not be surprised when we experience similar things. We should not not be surprised when we become too numb, too tired, too discouraged, too hardened in our heart to enjoy the blessings that God has given to us. Don't Don't be confused or surprised when you experience similar things that Paul has experienced. Because being a faithful witness is impossible without resting in the comforts and assurance of God's faithfulness to His purposes for us. My friends, let me point you to this comfort. Let me point you to our next point that I told you which was coming. Even though we struggle in our faithfulness to God, God does not struggle in his faithfulness to us. Even though you grow tired and weary and discouraged, even though you grow hardened by the discouragement in life, God does not. And even though you are, there are times you want to give up God won't give up on you. Even though there are times that you are faithless, God will remain faithful. Be counseled by Jesus' counsel to Paul. In verse 9 and 10 Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you and to harm you. For I have many in this city. Who are my people and Paul was so encouraged by this council, he stayed for a year and a half he stayed for a year and a half more and he moments before was shaking out his garments and said I'm done and then he served for a year and a half more and you say well of course Jesus shows up in my bedroom tonight I'll do whatever he says <laughs> of course of course Paul is staying a year and a half I'm surprised it wasn't longer when am I gonna get my midnight vision When am I going to get Jesus at the foot of my bed if he were to do these things? Before you think that, that's great for Paul. What about my encouragement? You should realize that Jesus' message to Paul in this passage is almost completely a repetition of everything God has ever said to his people. There's nothing new here. Jesus is repeating what God has said in the Old Testament forever. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. Keep going. And I'm going to win. I'm going to complete all my purposes for you and for the world, and I won't give up. Don't be afraid. Keep doing what I've asked you to do. Keep being faithful. I'm not going to leave you, and everything's going to be okay. He keeps saying this all throughout. Every time God's people become weary and afraid, God visits them and He tells them the same thing Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm not going to give up on you. So keep going. Therefore, we can receive these words as if Jesus is saying them directly to us. If you are discouraged, if you are tired, if you are wanting to give up and you want God to tell you something, He, let him tell you now. Because every time we go to his word, it is Jesus that is speaking directly to us. You can receive these words spoken to Paul as if Jesus is saying them directly to you and directly to me. Because this is true. Because he tells us this. Because he counsels us in this encouragement where he says to you, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Now, first of all, do you have a view of God that he, would, that he has to say the first thing, that has to say, don't be afraid? Do you have a view of God that is so intimidating and so majestic and so wonderful and so powerful that when he visits you, he has to say, I'm not going to kill you? Or do you have a view of Jesus that he's like, hey bud, what's up? What's going on? Life's hard. Ah, life is hard. What are we going to do about that? Do you have a, such a weak and pathetic Jesus that he comes in the room and you're not terrified? First of all, Every single time that the presence of God visits His people, the first thing is always, don't be afraid, I'm on your side, everything's going to be okay. So see that first. God is mighty. What do we learn about God in this? He is mighty. He is powerful. He is sovereign and in control. He is not weak. Therefore, Receive these reminders of these truths. What can you you take home? What can you hear from Jesus' words? Here's a few things. First, lack of ministry effectiveness should never be confused with a lack of God's presence and care. You feel stuck? You feel like you're a horrible parent, a horrible witness, a horrible Christian, a horrible follower of Jesus? That should never be confused with a lack of God's presence or care. Jesus assures Paul, even in the midst of a lack of ministry fruit, a long season of Paul who was called into ministry, and Jesus meets him face to face and says, go, and you're going to spread the gospel. And Paul goes and gives up his whole life, and nothing is happening. No one is believing in Corinth. The opposite is happening. They're like, gosh, come on, man. This is ridiculous. No one's going to believe you. And he says, I give up. And Jesus tells him in the midst of a lack of ministry fruit, he says, I'm with you and I will sustain you. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking and being bold and say what needs to be said, even if no one listens. Keep doing what I've asked you to do. I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. God knows your struggles. That's what I see from this. These words from Christ to Paul, God knows our struggles. He speaks to him exactly, he gives him comfort exactly where he needs it. He speaks into his struggles. God knows your struggles. You are not alone. Second, God cares about your struggles. He cares about your struggles to speak to you, to give encouragement to you. He cares so much that he gave his own son to die for you. And God is able to sustain you and protect you in your struggles. If these were not true, all these things that Jesus says are just lies. It's cruel. Think of this. If God does not know our struggles, if he does not care about our struggles, and if he can't do anything to fix our struggles, then Jesus is just a cruel a cruel counselor. Mean. I mean, this is really mean. It's like saying to a kid, you can, you can be whatever you want. How cruel is that? You can, there's lots of things you can't be. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you can, y- everything's going to be okay. How can you say that unless you're in control? I'm with you. How can you say that unless you're actually living in me, unless your presence is with me, unless you're alive? I really care about you. How do you know unless you're going to do something? How, how could that be true unless you're willing to do something? If there's a single molecule in all the universe outside of the control and sovereignty of God, then Jesus here is the most cruel counselor ever. He is able to say these things because he is sovereign, he is good, he is provider, and everything, every single molecule in the universe gets its direction and permission from him. I don't know how. I don't know how it all works out. But this is what we know. Our problems in life make us think that it is God who has a problem, that, there, that, there is, that he has a provision problem. And if we're suffering, we think that God's a bad father, right? So, so harm has come to us, and life is hard, and there's no ministry fruit, and we say, God, what have you missed? Why have you done this? Why have you taken your eyes off of me? You're a bad provider. You're an absent landlord. You're a, an uncaring father. And when we do that, it really just exposes our faith problem. When life hits us hard and your first question is, God, why have you failed me? Instead of saying, God, what do you need me to see? Then we have a faith problem. We expose that our hearts are not as pure as we thought. We expose that our hearts are not as focused on him as we thought. We expose that we truly love the things of this earth, and we think that following Jesus means being happy forever. And we've bought into the cultural lies that says happiness and comfort are the peak of success. If you're happy, if you're comfortable, you've made it. Do you realize that the best Christians in the Bible often suffered the worst? No one made it past 33. Now I'm, I'm, I must be a bad Christian, because I'm older than that. Are you faithful? Are you being faithful? God's sovereignty and control of the universe is not a deterrent for our trust in Him. When we realize that God is sovereign, that He is in control, that He is good, that should not make us think, well, then, then He's got it. I don't need to do anything. God's sovereignty and control of the universe is not a deterrent, but rather it is fuel. It is fuel for our faithfulness. It is fuel that makes us say, well, then I can keep going. I can keep trusting, I can keep believing, I can keep sacrificing, I can keep being bold because he's in control and everything is going to be okay. What else does it show us that God is working through and in spite of the wickedness of others? Can you think of the things that deter you from being a faithful witness, that make you want to shake your garments out, that make you want to say, I'm done with this? What is it? Make a list in your head. What are those things that discourage you? The difficult conversations, the insults, the damage to your reputation, the damage to your favor among coworkers, the feelings of just disappointing others and not being liked, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the ridicule. What makes you say, I just don't want to do this anymore? The feeling that you're always disappointing people, the feeling that you're not making a difference. The feeling that you're just tired of being looked at and thought of by others as just this weird, weird alien person that is stupid or something. What what are the things on the list that make you think, I'm just not going to engage in this? God fashions every hurt, every disappointment, every weakness, every sin into a future of blessing for his people. He takes it all, he fashions it all together together. He promises to do that for the people He loves. He, said, he promises for those who are His people. He says, I, I'm going to fashion every hurt, every wound, every weakness, every, every word of, of, of harm that has come your way, every arrow that is shot towards you from others, every wickedness and every evil intent, everything that breaks your heart. I'm going to use all of that and wrap it all up into future blessing for you. And He doesn't tell us how He does it. He just tells us, I'm going to do it, and you need to trust me. And that's the hard thing. I wish I could tell you. Now, let me, let me show you all the ways that God is going to do this. I can't tell you that. And, and Paul is never told that. He's just told, I'm going to, I'm going to fashion all of, this, all of these wounds in a future blessing, and you just have to trust me. You have to believe me. Well, how do I know? Well, I'm alive. Look at at everything that has happened. Look at every promise I've ever made. Have I ever broken a promise? No. You you know that I I was killed. You, You were there. And now I'm alive. You saw me. How could that be? How could I tell you to trust in me and that I'm trustworthy and you not believe that? If Jesus is alive, if he died for your sins, if he calls you his beloved, if he has promised life and love and friendship if he sits enthroned over all of creation, if he has promised hope and restoration in your life and in the world, what if you have to fear? What what seriously could go wrong? Nothing. What insult, what discouragement, what bad thing can happen that can deter God and thwart his plan? Nothing. We learn that from the Bible, not even death itself. That's why Paul was not discouraged by death. He says to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He says, if I'm alive and I'm being, being inflicting, uh, pain is being inflicted on me, well, then the gospel is being proclaimed. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus. It's a win-win. Do you have that mentality? To live is gain. To live, to, to, to live is Christ. To die is gain. So even death itself cannot destroy God's plans for me or for you. There's literally nothing to fear. Nothing to be afraid of. He doesn't tell us how to do it. He simply tells us to trust in his love for us. You don't know how God will act. You don't know how God will act. You don't know when he will act. You don't know if he will harden a heart or soften a heart. When you speak in, uh, in boldness and in compassion of uh, the gospel to others, you don't know how it will be received. Some will be hardened by it. Some will be softened by it. You don't know. And that shouldn't matter. You don't know what will happen, and yet every work done, every word spoken, and every effort spent for the gospel will not be wasted. Every word will not be wasted. Any word will not be wasted, not a single one. Not a single tear shed will be wasted. Not a single hurt. So the question is, is this enough for you? I mean, honestly, ask yourself, is it enough for you to keep going? If it's not, then what that does is it exposes where you're placing your real hope what you ultimately love is the pleasure and fulfillment of of this present world and not christ what it's exposing is weakness in your relationship with jesus it's exposing a love and a temptation to love the things of this world that ultimately cannot satisfy and we need to say yes i acknowledge god i I love the things of this world i'm tempted to find my comfort ultimately in in the pleasure of of people the praise of of man In success, in material success. I'm I'm tempted to find comfort in in seeing exactly how you will use every every wound right now. And God doesn't always show us. To be faithful is to take God at His word, to trust Him, even when we cannot see how He's working out the details of our suffering. That's what Jesus asked Paul to do. Lastly. We can do that because this, there's more going on that you can see. There's more going on that you can see. And that's what what Jesus tells Paul. There's more going on here than you can see. Corinth was a place that Paul said, I'm through with you. What a waste of time. To which Jesus said, I have people here who belong to me. You got to think, Paul's thinking, how is that possible? I've, I've met the people here. How could they be, be, be your people? Don't miss this. This is saying something incredibly true and beautiful about how God works. No one is too far gone. Paul looks on the landscape of this, this, this city that has incredibly uh, given themselves to sexual immorality, and God says, Some among them I've died for, and I have chosen out of my sovereign plan to take them out of a life of sin and into a life of faith. And you don't know who they are. This is how God works. And so we go through life thinking, we we, we predict, you know, that's a good person. God can do good work with that. That person, that that bad person, uh, that doesn't seem like the Christian type. And that's just going to cause me pain and suffering, and th- you know what? The gospel is just going to be confusing to them. But this person's great, and we kind of, we kind of, you know, Charles Spurgeon. People said, why do you keep, why do you keep preaching the gospel to people? Why do you keep going into these, uh, preaching the gospel into into horrible situations, uh, every single week? And he says, because because God's elect don't have uh, yellow stripes on their back. I don't know who belongs to God. I don't know who is going to respond to the gospel, and so I just preach to everyone no one is too far gone no one is too lost Jesus says I've died for the sins of many in this city and I've chosen them and they don't know it yet and neither do you there's a very real possibility that when you see a hopeless situation God is about to do a miracle when you see a friend or a coworker that is just too far gone God is about to do a miracle so he, he's, he's, he's about to change a life. He's about to change a heart. When Abraham saw his barren and elderly wife, God said, watch what I'm about to do. When, when Moses stood before the Red Sea and the enemy coming on his, uh, to his back about to kill them and, and they're stuck, God says, watch what I'm about to do. And he parts the Red Sea and they walk through it on dry land. When God's people wandered through the desert for 40 years and they didn't have any food, they said, we're going to starve to death. And God said, watch what I'm going to do. And and food fell from the sky. And when we were dead in sin without hope in the world, God said, watch what I'm about to do. And he sent his son into the world to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death we deserve to die. So that by trusting in him and having faith in him, his righteousness would be our own. That we would have a new heart, that we would be redeemed and restored that we would have hope, and we'd be united to Him forever in love. The point is that God is always doing much more than you can see, right now in your life. And in the midst of your struggle, He's doing much more than you are aware of. You need to believe that. You need to trust in that. You need to have faith in that. Does your expectation of what God will do in the world through your ministry require His intervention? What I'm saying is, are you trusting God for things that are impossible for you to do. I hope that this is convicting and eye-opening. Usually we don't. Usually we trust God only to the limits of our own ability. Usually we we witness up to our strengths. We witness up to our ability. We love people up to our ability. Most of the time we do not trust God for things that we couldn't do on our own without Him. It's like applying for a loan. They want to make sure that you can afford not getting a loan before they give it to you. (laughs) I need $10,000. Well, do you have $10,000 in the bank? No, that's why I need a loan. Well, you can't have a loan then. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. No, I need you because I'm deficient. Are you going to God recognizing that you actually cannot do it without him? Or are you only walking with Jesus up to your own ability? I realize that I just trust God just in what I can do without him. And that's not following Jesus. That's using Jesus. That's kind of using him as a little token, as a, as a, as a trophy. Look at all the wonderful things that, that I have done with Jesus' help. If you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you realized that the Holy Spirit was gone from your life, would you act any different? Would you be any less bold? Would you live any different? Would you talk any different? Would you be any less compassionate or courageous? Do you see what I'm asking? Most of the time, we would say, no, I would still be me. That's the problem. That's the problem. We, we, should, we, should, we should be ministering in a way that requires God to act. And we should have this mentality in our lives, like, God, I'm waking up today, and I'm going to be bold in what you've asked me to do, and if you don't show up, it's going to be miserable. So please show up. Please act. Are you trusting things? Are you trusting God for things that are truly impossible for you to do? That's what Jesus is telling Paul to do. So Jesus is saying, okay, Paul, I've got you right where I want you. You have reached the limits of your own ability. This is where you need me. You're right. You can't do this without me, but you need to keep going because I'm with you. And I'm going to do something here. Our mission is, is an investment in the lives of others and sometimes very long term. And Paul was ready to give it up and quit. And God reminded him that he couldn't do it without his sustaining care. And neither can you, and neither can we as a church. Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful to the ministry that God has given to you? The people that He's placed in your life? Are you being faithful in a way to the ministry He's given to you in a way that requires God to act? That's what it means to be faithful. There are many questions that may be asked during difficult times of life, but there is truly only one that matters. Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Are you hoping? Are you resting? Are you trusting in Him? Are you walking by faith? Not by feel, not by sight, not by touch. Are you willing to repent of sin and believe in His promises as you go? Are you being faithful? God will always be faithful to His purposes for you. God will never give up on you. He will never give up on His purposes for the world. What a great encouragement. He will always be faithful to His people. He will never let you down. And He simply asks us to be faithful, to believe Him, to believe in His love for us, and to keep going. Be bold. Be courageous. Be compassionate. Speak the words He has given to you, and trust in Him. Be faithful. Let's pray.